give him a very warm CCC welcome. Come on up, Wave. Good morning, guys, and Merry Christmas. It's, it's always so neat to come back to CCC because it's kind of like a family reunion. Um, we've been involved with this church for so long. Uh, family members have been involved here and now moved away. Um, but uh, we just want to thank you all for uh, inviting us in, being so open to the stuff that God is doing uh, with uh, my wife and, and me. And um, we want to thank you for your investment in our family and especially our grandkids. Um, I love this uh, introduction almost, kind of lengthy introduction to what we're going to look at today with the kids and then the video and stuff like that because we are here to ramp up and get our hearts ready to again welcome the, um, the advent of the infant king. And so, you know, it's so appropriate that we have, you know, we bathe this thing with, with kid stuff. I, I don't know about you, but I, I'm having a hard time deciding which of my favorite characters that, you know, I, the ones that I like the most. I was going to go with the chickens, but then with the passied up Jesus, then I got to go with that. You know, I guess it's just theologically appropriate, but the chickens were so adorable. Uh, so... Uh, I don't know. It's a coin toss. You got a spare shekel? Go ahead and do your own. Um, so uh, I had I brought something from my own grandkids. Uh, we found a note at the end of the bed of uh, our younger granddaughter, and it said simply, "I pray to God. I take melatonin. I love my family." priceless, right? <laughs> no amount of shekels in the world is going to buy that kind of, I don't know, comic relief or whatever, but, you know, the, the combination of the serious and, and the insane. Uh, but uh, I pulled this off of our wall last night. It's um, from our older granddaughter, the oldest of the four, and uh, she drew this at CCC in a little Sunday school class that was teaching her about the importance of a real, living, vibrant relationship with God. And I know you can't see it from where you are, but it has all five of her fingers on both hands. And they taught her something important for each finger. And the bottom line was, and she's written on here, God is real. That's a really neat investment. So thank you all for all of that. Pastor Kevin helped me with this stuff before I break it or kill myself. Um, so this morning, I want to dive right into that theme of kids, the infant king, and God is real. Uh, this morning, we're going to be retracing the steps of Joseph and Mary as they traveled from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And I'd like to, as, as we go along on this journey to, in some measure, recreate the conversation that's going on between the two of them that would also go, along, go on between any of us. If we're traveling along and we go past a battlefield, of course, that becomes the topic of conversation, right? 
or you go past Mount Rushmore or the Lincoln Memorial. You know what I'm talking about. It, it just is, becomes a part of the discussion going on inside the car, the bus, the minivan or whatever. And these kinds of shared realities in human experience give us the opportunity to look into the backstory of the birth of Jesus that in a some, some measure then just fills full of even deeper meaning the actual event of Jesus' birth. So we've entitled this Steps of Faith, The Journey of Mary and Joseph from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Jacob? Uh, let's read the story to begin. It came about in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of the, all the inhabited earth. This wasn't just counting nickels and noses. This was about taxation, which was one of the things that Rome was really great at in addition to things like crucifixion and oppression. Um, and all were proceeding to register for the census, everyone to his own city, because this was a property, not an income tax or a wealth tax. It was a property tax. Next, Joseph went up from Galilee, a city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of the royal family of David. In order to register, along with Mary, who was engaged, not a good translation, it should be betrothed, because in Judaism of the time, money had changed hands, a contract had been drawn up, and there was a ceremony with witnesses to this. And so this was a legally contracted marriage in every way except for uh, consummation which wouldn't happen until after the birth so who was betrothed to him and was with child in fact it was such a close connection such a a, a legal standing that uh, in order to dissolve this betrothal there had to be a public divorce you read this language in the gospel of Matthew chapter 2 next and it came about while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in cloths or swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. I guess in a way this is kind of an instant replay of what the kids did, so just bear with me. Next. Uh, I've written relatively, in addition to this incredible academic exercise we just went through, chickens and all, um, I've written pretty extensively on this birth of Jesus thing. You're welcome to take a picture of this with your cell phone or I don't know if they're videoing, whatever, just go back to this. But the one and only Christmas story focuses on Luke's version. And then Christmas and the importance of family. That is not our family and being together at Christmas but the focus of this article is on the kind of family that Jesus grew up in. Those most influential people in our lives, his parents, and what that, the kind of foundation that laid for the emphases that would be very visible in his three, three and a half year ministry. Next. Uh, so today, what we're going to do, instead of focusing on the, the story as a whole or even on a, kind of the background of Jesus' uh, family or whatever, we're going to look specifically at this journey from Nazareth in Galilee to Bethlehem in Judea. It, you might notice, and this is one of those kinds of maps like you'd find in the back of your Bible. They really are there. I encourage you to use them on a regular basis because the Bible happened on the monopoly board of reality uh, of the world, the land of Israel. It, it didn't happen in Salt Lake City, Utah, contrary to popular opinion of some, but it actually happened in a real time, in a real place. 
It's not myth and legend. It's not make-believe. It's not, you know, once upon a time they all lived happily ever after. It's a real story that engages us because of its gritty, dirt-under-the-fingernails reality. So you may notice already that the author or the maker of this map is giving us an itinerary that goes from Lower Galilee down the Jordan River is a nice flat road and stuff until you get to Jericho here and then you have to cut up almost at a 45 degree angle for the next 16 17 miles to get from Jericho to Jerusalem and then the next five or six miles on to Bethlehem Um, I've got a couple more maps a little bit more detailed maps let's take a look at those Uh, This is a layer-tinted satellite map that I'm a part of this project and get to use the material. And so what we're looking at is this is the area of Galilee. This is Samaria, kind of the white and the Oreo cookie between the two black ends. And then this this area here is Judea. So here in Galilee, we find Nazareth right there. And then we find this spear-shaped valley called the Jezreel or Armageddon Valley. And then there's this yellow and brown, this area here where it's an uplifted kind of mountain range that runs north and south through the rest of the land of Israel, runs all the way through Samaria to Judea. And this is where Jerusalem is. And then here is Bethlehem. So... Uh, kind of a, going from simple to, to more complex. Let's look at one more map. And this is going to actually um, help you with the itinerary that we're going to look at the rest of the presentation. You may see, again, these features. The spear-shaped valley right here, kind of a triangle-shaped valley. And then I've superimposed on this with my own kind of crummy, you know, um, Photoshop drawing. Uh, this is Nazareth, and this is basically the way that Jesus, Joseph, and Mary would have gone from Nazareth to Bethlehem right here on the very far right of the map. Now, this is a different version of the journey than what you saw on the first map, right? That map took you to the east to the Jordan Valley that connects the Sea of Galilee with the Dead Sea, and you have the Jordan River, and you can actually see the channel of the Jordan. By the way, these are real places. These, this is not, you know, a knight's tale uh, or uh, some kind of make-believe sort of story. This is reality in real time in a real place. And so the first map took us to the east and then straight south until this oasis of Jericho and then cutting up the Jerusalem-Jericho road to Jerusalem and then the five or six miles to Bethlehem. Two completely different um, uh, envisions of the itinerary of Joseph and Mary. Well, you've heard probably, if you've been around churches and Christianity For the last couple of hundred years, you've heard that, you know, Jews didn't go through Samaria. Uh, Security concerns, uh, racial strife and hatred, and then concerns about ritual purity. All those are real, and they're all first century, you know, situations that these two people groups, Samaritans and Jews, had to navigate. And there was a huge Jewish community in Galilee and a huge Jewish community in Judea. And the Samaritans owned this area, this country that was the white of the Oreo cookie in between the two. So it was an issue. It was a geopolitical, religious, ethnic kind of issue, sort of like the ones that we're trying to navigate today in our world. 
um, and yet maybe for them on steroids. Um, and yet, what we've got to do, instead of following sometimes tradition, is we've got to follow the evidence. And it's like taking candy from a baby. I hate it. Um, I, I feel like I've spent much of my career doing this, but I'm dialed in on reality. I hope you are too. You just want the truth, yes? Just, you know, don't give me some big long spiel and don't, you, don't pitch me. Don't fake right and, don't run, fake, uh, uh, right and run left, but just tell me the truth. Just give me the data. Give me the facts. So what we've got is three groups of evidence. The New Testament tells us that Jesus and his disciples were all over Samaria. So they're Jews in Samaria, not just once, but multiple times. The first century Jewish historian Josephus tells us that it was, and I'm going to quote literally word for word, now it was the custom of Jews in Galilee to travel through Samaria to reach Judea at the time of the festivals. It was the custom. In other words, this was standard operating procedure. Then the last thing that we've got is the rabbis. And the rabbis, the ancient rabbis, tell us that they had decreed all paths in Samaria clean, that, that you could eat food prepared by Samaritans, you could stay in Samaritan hotels and homes, uh, that you could own property in Samaria, that you could raise produce in Samaria, and you even had to tie that produce to the temple, even if it was grown in Samaria. So you've got Jewish involvement all over Samaria. This is just the way that the evidence reads. And so that's the reason I didn't go with the first map. And we're not going down this Jordan Valley route that's almost twice as long, by the way. That means you lose twice as much money from your farm or your business, twice as much time away from your family, twice as much danger from, like in the wilderness, bandits, robbers, etc. It's just not what was going on in the first century. Common sense says, yes, they avoid Samaria, but the, the data, the evidence says they cut right through the heart of it. So, if that's what the evidence says, we're going to follow the evidence and we're going to trace or retrace the steps of Joseph and Mary on the way that they would have gone like all other Jews would have gone in the first century every time there's movement between Galilee and Judea. Next. Uh, there's a, if you want to go into greater detail, if you want the actual text, the information, the word for word, the black and white on the reason for retracing through uh, Samaria as opposed to going around it, the Jordan Valley route. Um, I wrote an article about six years ago. It's out there for free on the internet. You're welcome to, to uh, take a look at it. Next. <clears throat> so recreating the conversation is a little bit more, is a little bit more dicey. Uh, no video cameras, no tape recorders, you know, I wasn't there, contrary to maybe popular opinion of my grandkids. Um, and so, uh, yeah, Grandpa, he, Papa, he's the ancient of days, right? Um, but it's, it gets easier if you follow the evidence. Joseph and Mary were Torah observant Jews. They believed and they obeyed the Bible. Um, great family for Jesus to grow up in, right? And one of the things that the Bible says is when you're on a journey, these words that I'm commanding you, Moses says, will be on your heart. Teach them diligently to your kids. Talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. It's going to be an all-consuming thing. Constantly 
the words of scripture passing between family members. So they're traveling along. They've got lots of time to talk. And they probably came up with, yeah, Joseph, I need you to fix this when we get home. And yes, Mary, would you mind uh, mending such and such? Because I'm always tripping in the carpenter shop. That's going on. Gotcha. But they're also obeying this command of scripture. Speak of these words when you walk in the way. So a lot of what they're talking about is engaging in the rehearsal of the realities of their Bible. So um, let's go and start our journey. We're going to pick up with the Gospel of Luke again, just as a reminder. Joseph went from Galilee, from Nazareth to Bethlehem uh, to register with Mary for the census. Next. So back to this map, and we're going to be revisiting and revisiting this map so that you get used to it. The first thing we're going to do is start at Nazareth. We're going to go across that valley. When we cross that valley, I'm going to mention these names. There won't be a test at the end, I promise. I could do that. It's legal. It's in like, you know, my, you know, union contract and stuff that, you know, we could pop test and everything, but we're not going to do it. Just to, so that you know where we're going. We're going to go past Mount Tabor, past the hill of Moray, past Mount Gilboa. You've heard these words, right? Not Balboa, that's rocky. Uh, Gilboa. Um, then we're going to go past the valley of Dothan and the city of Dothan. From there we go to Shechem, then to Shiloh, then to Bethel, then to Mizpah, then this I. I didn't put a little yellow box there. Just go with the I. I is Jerusalem. I is Jerusalem, and then five or six miles south to Bethlehem. Yes, Jesus was a southerner. Pause for courtesy laugh. Thank you. All right, so to, uh, to cross the valley. Next. It's going to hang each one of these stops on the journey on a Bible passage or a couple of Bible passages. Here's one to get us across the valley. In Judges 8, actually Judges 6, 7, and 8, it's the Gideon story, right? Gideon the judge. The men of Israel said to Gideon, rule over us, you, your son, and your son's son, because you have delivered us from the hand of Midian. So let's start our first journey by video. Had the blessing of being of working for the last year or, or so. Uh, here's Mount Carmel. We're looking west. Go 5,500 miles this way and you're sitting in your seat. Scanning across from west to east, about 180 degrees. We're going to look at that. Can you stop it right there? At that Jezreel Valley. You see the flat valley that we're sitting in? Okay, this is the Nazareth Ridge. The reason for that is the city of Nazareth is on that ridge. You can see it spilling over the brow of the hill. Same brow that in Luke 4, they were going to push Jesus off. Uh, okay. And so this is the Nazareth Ridge. Keep going, Jacob. Now we're going to stop again. And this is Mount Tabor. Showed it to you on the satellite a moment ago. And this is where Deborah and Barak in Judges 4 and 5 gathered the people of Israel, the, 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 the warriors of Israel together. And God delivered, using Deborah, Barak, and these uh, valiant fighters, delivered Israel from the Canaanites that were oppressing them. So Joseph and Mary are crossing from the Nazareth Ridge, crossing this valley, headed into the direction of the northern mountains of Samaria. And what are they going to be talking about? You know, after the laundry list and after the grocery list is complete, they're talking about the great things that God has done in the history of their people to, for example, bring deliverance 
to them. God the deliverer. What's the name Jesus mean? Savior, yes. It can also mean rescuer, redeemer, deliverer, yasha, Yeshua. Yasha means to deliver, save, ransom, redeem, rescue. All of those things, all poured into one person. All right, next. Or just, yeah, continue, and then we're going to stop right here. This is the hill of Moray. Uh, this is where Elisha raised a um, woman's dead son back from the dead and restored him to life. So, yes, you know, I remember what the prophet did here, Mary? Or remember what the prophet did here, Joseph? This is where God brought people back to life. That's going to be the kind of ministry that our son has. That's what was promised. That kind of power and authority was promised by the angel, was promised in the dream. That's what we, get, we have to look forward to. Kind of an Elisha 2.0 upgrade. It's also where the prophet Samuel came back to life on the backside at Endor or Endor. Um, and, you know, this is where Gideon's army, right here was where the Midianites were fighting and uh, if you could just forward uh, it just a little bit, Jacob. Across this valley, which is a great uh, natural battleground, a little bit further, um, we get to stop Mount Gilboa right here. And right at the point is the spring of Gideon. It's called in Hebrew, Ein Harod. And this is where Gideon gathered his forces together. Back over there at the hill of Moray, this is where the Midianites were, forces were amassed. And again, God brought great deliverance to his people, raising up a specific person. Well, Joseph, well, Mary, whichever the direction of the conversation went, God's still in the business of doing that. He's still delivering, and he's going to use this son of ours to bring great deliverance, redemption, ransom, rescue, salvation to his people. Um, some of you have probably gone through some things recently, whether it's COVID or some kind of business issue or something happening in a relationship or whatever. That God that delivered in the days of Gideon, that brought this unbelievable deliverance through the person of Jesus, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So guess what? This journey becomes a part of our journey as well. Because the God that these people are talking about, the, the things that the events that they're celebrating, that this God performed, these are current realities because he is the same. He doesn't change. Next. Go to the next slide. So we've gotten across the valley. We're about to go through a very narrow pass. And then it, this valley, it sort of opens up to a sort of a suburb of the Jezreel Valley, the Valley of Dothan or Dothan, not Alabama. Okay. So what happens here at Dothan? Let's take a look at some Bible passages. Genesis 37 says, that when Joseph went looking, Joseph, you know, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the 12 patriarchs or sons, and one of them is Joseph, not Joseph, Jesus is Joseph, but Joseph of the Hebrew Bible or Old Testament, Genesis 37. He's going looking for his father's sheep and his brothers. And he goes to, to Dothan and he, uh, or to, to a man, and he, the man says, well, I heard them say that they were going to Dothan. So Do jo Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan or Dothan. Let's take a look at what Dothan, this is not make-believe, this is real. So let's take a look at another video. This is the, um, 
this is the, uh, what you saw just a second ago, was the tell or artificial mound built up by successive layers of human inhabitation, destroyed, leveled off, built on again. And now this is the valley of Dotan right beside it. So this is the place where he was beaten up, thrown in the pit, sold into slavery. And yet God said, uh, or Joseph said, you meant this for evil. You know, you oppressed me. You, you treated me poorly. And yet God exalted me. And he brought deliverance to many, many people because of that. Well, that's happened in Jesus' life as well. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. And yet, uh, because he humbled himself even unto death, Philippians 2 says, God highly exalted him so that now at, the, at, at every knee will bow and tongue confess that he's Lord. Okay, well, he's doing this still today in our lives. It's not just Joseph. It's not just in the life of Jesus. This goes on with us as well. Yes, we will be mistreated. We will be misunderstood. There will be difficulties, pushback, and that kind of thing in our world. And yet the God that we serve is the same, and he's big enough to exalt us. Humble yourselves, James says, under the mighty hand of God, that in due time he might exalt you and me. Next. Okay, so we have gone to, through the valley of Dotan. We've been talking about these are the sorts of things as they pass by these places that they're picking up and that becomes a part of their conversation. The next place we're going to visit is Shechem. And you've heard of that, that name both in the Old Testament and New Testament. Let's talk about a couple of passages in the Bible where things happen at Shechem. In the book of Joshua, and notice this is at the very end of the book of Joshua. Joshua gathers the, the, the people of Israel together as the, as the successor of Moses. And he renews the covenant between God and Israel right before he passes away and passes off the scene. Um, this happens on a regular basis in the Bible. It happened in Deuteronomy to the next generation. Moses renewed the covenant with them that was given at Mount Sinai. Joshua is renewing the covenant here. We have covenant renewal with the prophet Samuel with, in the days of Ezra and Nehemiah. We have covenant renewal with Jesus. At the Last Supper, he says, this is my blood of the covenant. And, and, and he renews that covenant. Um, with his disciples, and by extension, all the way to, to us. God is a God who makes promises. He keeps covenant. He keeps his word. And he still does that today with us. So this kind of covenant renewal theme is beginning to crop up and will over and over during this journey between Joseph and Mary as they converse about these um, great acts of God in their Bible, where they're passing by literally the location where this happened. Um, he, this is exactly where Joshua says, as for me and my house, I will, we will serve the Lord. Mary or Joseph, you know, this happened with our forefathers. That's our commitment too. We're going to see this thing through. It doesn't matter what it costs us. We've already made our decision. Our family, we're following God. We're going to do it all the way. We're going to do it with all of our heart, no matter what the cost. And this is exactly what is poured. This attitude is poured into Jesus. And he says, you got to count the cost. 
You have to count the cost. You got to be willing to take up your cross daily and follow after me if you're going to be my disciple. And it follows all the way through us with us today. And if we do and we make that decision, that kind of covenant faithfulness that God has promised, that he's renewed with you, that's going to be right there to strengthen you. As Paul says, in our weakest times, his strength is perfected in us. Next. So in this same location, Shechem, we have Jacob's well. And this is where Jesus has this conversation with the woman at the well. Some of you have been watching The Chosen, right? That kind of TV series. We've been doing it as a family. And the last one that we watched was on Jacob's well. And Jesus' conversation with the woman at the well, absolutely powerful, amazing. So I recommend that to you. Just a really neat way of visualizing these important biblical events. Well, when these guys go by Jacob's well, and they talk about, you know, Jacob the forefather and how deep the well was, but how incredibly cool and, and, uh, and um, wonderful the water is to drink because they've been there by there many times before, you know. Uh, then next slide. You, you've got to recognize that they're talking about this one who's going to come through Mary's womb and is going to, the water that he gives is going to be a water that is springing up to eternal life. That's that very conversation in that same place that Jesus would have, you know, some 30, 33 years or so later. Uh, Amazing. I mean, absolutely amazing that we are able to go past these places and because of the Hebrew Bible saying, when you walk in the way, talk about these things, that we can go back to these events and we can hear the echoes of these biblical events being rehearsed between Joseph and Mary and rebuild that part of the conversation that they would have had. We're going to get a 2.0 upgrade. Uh, This water is going to be even better than the water Jacob, our forefather, left to us. That still is, is a blessing to us because this water, water is going to spring up to eternal life. You see how it, in some measure, just putting these events, this itinerary back into its original context ends up making all of this stuff come alive and begins to inform us more of this backstory that God used to prepare their hearts to be the mom and dad of this infant king that would come through them in the birth at Bethlehem. Next. So we're going to do just a little video. This is from a drone. Turn the volume off because it sounds like you're being attacked by killer bees otherwise. Um, But here's the wall of the city of Shechem, ancient Old Testament Shechem, a Canaanite temple that was destroyed when Joshua conquered this city Uh, hundreds of years before Jesus. Over in the background, there's the Jordan Valley where the Jordan River is. And this was discovered by archaeologists. It's the actual stone of Joshua 24 that he set up as a monument to remind people of God's covenant faithfulness and the promises that they made back to God when they renewed the covenant with Joshua there in Joshua chapter 24. Okay, go to the next slide if you don't mind, because in the same place at Shechem, just off of that was Sychar, but you're also able to see right in the same place, Mount Ebal. Uh, We're swinging around to the east now to that Jordan Valley area, continuing to swing 
to the south now, and this is Mount Gerizim, and you can see the foundations of the destroyed um, uh, temple of the Samaritans. Samaritan temple is there on Mount Gerizim. The lady at the well in John 4 actually referred to that. She said, uh, our forefathers worshipped past tense on this mountain because their temple lie in ruins. A Jewish king, a hundred years or so before, had destroyed, in a conquest of Samaria, destroyed their church, their temple. And you can feel the kind of angst, the animosity between Samaritan and Jew. And, and Jesus just deflates that. He said, woman, let me tell you this. The time's coming when it's not going to be in Jerusalem or in uh, Samaria at this place. But God is going to call on us and he's going to make it a, a, a possible for us to worship him in spirit and in truth. If you're worshiping God in spirit and truth, you're downstream from that conversation and that specific spot that we were just hovering over with a little drone flown by an Israeli friend of mine. Next. Okay, so we were at Shechem. We're going to go to Shiloh. Can you think of any places before we queue up the next slide? Anything that happened at Shiloh that you, you know, is an echo in your mind from the, the biblical world because you can bet that Joseph and Mary had all of this front-loaded. They knew this stuff. From, from being able to talk and understand uh, language, they had been taught these stories and they had memorized this Bible of theirs. In the original, yeah. Um, it's not so weird. Uh, my professor that saw me through doctoral studies had the entire Hebrew Bible mem memorized. Knew it all word for word, letter by letter, by heart. Started as a little kid. These guys start as little kids. They know their Bible. And so, any ideas? Think Anything? Any, any ref, reflections? Any memories about Shiloh? S-H-I-L-O, usually it's H. S-H-I-L-O-H. Well, let's take a look at a few. I'm not going to put you on the spot. It's Christmas, right? If I'm not good, then I'm going to be naughty. If I'm naughty, according to my youngest grandson, well, things don't go well, right? In, at the end of the book of Judges, uh, the, the people of the tribe of Dan set up this idol and made this worship site up in the far north of Israel and were worshiping pagan gods there. And the author of the book says, and the whole time, the house of God was at Shiloh, Shiloh. Um, they had another option. They had another place of worship, but they decided that they were going to do it their own way. Probably a good message for us. We do it by the, by the owner's manual. We do it God's way. Things usually, kind of like with the Santa thing, the naughty and nice thing, things usually end up turning out much better for us if we live according to the owner's manual. In 1 Samuel, uh, the prophet Samuel, the Lord appeared again at Shiloh. Now we're getting another theme that we're, we're going to be developing, and that is the presence of God. The presence of God uh, is a constant theme going back and forth th between Mary and Joseph as they go past these biblical sites and this promise of God's presence. It, it unites all the covenants in the Bible. He's always going to say, I'll never fail you. I'll never leave you or forsake you. That'll be a part of every covenant. So the house of God, the presence of God at Shiloh. 
And this is the tabernacle before the Solomon built the temple. The Lord appeared again at Shiloh, another presence of God. The Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh. Samuel, the great prophet who anointed the first two kings of Israel, who became the high priest, the spokesman for God, um, and the kingmaker, he's, uh, he, he gets his start there at Shiloh in the presence of God. Even Jeremiah, my place that was at Shiloh had already been destroyed. And now the temple had been built and it was about to be destroyed. The temple was about to be destroyed by the Babylonians. In the late 500s BC, Jeremiah says, my place was in Shiloh where I made my name to dwell at the first. And you begin to get these um, references. This uh, verb to dwell is shachan, where we get the word shekinah from in the modern day, those special manifestations of God's dwelling presence. So the presence of God is a really important theme that comes, that develops, that comes up and then is developed on this journey. Next. Okay, so here's a uh, video of Shiloh. This is the place, perfect in dimension according to the book of Exodus for the setting up of the tabernacle. And then all around were pits of buried bones of sacrificial animals. But not the entire animal, only the part that according to the law of Moses was to be given to the priests and consumed right around the sanctuary. Then over in this area here, archaeologists have discovered um, uh, pottery jars that still were sealed and had grain that was to be used as the grain offering. You've heard about it. You've seen it in the Bible, uh, barley and wheat. And then also they had uh, other, found other pottery jars, jars that had the residue of wine because wine was a pour, a drink offering. Um, and those kinds of things associated with tabernacle worship. For 367 years, the tabernacle of God was here at Shiloh prior to the building of Solomon's temple. Next. Okay, we are at Shiloh. We're going to go to Bethel, but only briefly. Next. In Genesis, we're told that Jacob had a dream. And you know the story. There was a ladder between heaven and earth, and there were angels ascending and descending on it. Um, and behold, the Lord stood above it. The presence of God, manifestation of God's special kind of Shekinah dwelling presence of God. And what does he do when the Lord said, he said, I called your forefather Abraham. And then I was faithful and renewed my covenant with your father Isaac. And now I'm renewing it with you. He's, he's renewing the covenant by retelling God's redeeming acts in human history. This is a God who's in very much involved in human history. And here we have a great example of that. More covenant renewal. Next. And behold, I am with you. And that's what God is saying to Jacob. Every time the covenant is renewed, there's always this re repetition, this reminder of God's dwelling presence with people who will step up to the plate and commit to that two-way covenant between us and God. Jacob awoke from his sleep. He said, the Lord is in this place, presence of God. This is none other than the house of God, presence of God. And this is the gate of heaven, place where man and God commune. And he called the name of that place Beit El, the place of God, or the house of God, if you will. Next. 
I don't have a video for that. It's in the middle of the, what is called the West Bank or the Palestinian Authority today. It's difficult to get permits and stuff like that. So maybe at some point in the future, we can bring Bethel to you. But we're going from Bethel to Mizpah. And this is a really cool video. Samuel calls the people together at Mizpah. For what reason? He's about to anoint, he's taking to the next developmental stage what God is doing with his people. And he, before he anoints the first king, what is he going to do? He's going to renew the covenant. This is important. Guys, for us in, in our lives, there are points in our lives at which it's really important, whether it's in a sermon or you're riding down the road and you, you just, the worship music is playing and you're just kind of zoning out and all of a sudden you feel that, that, that Shekinah thing, that, that special expression of the presence of God. It's time to renew the covenant. And for us, just because we have this treasure in earthen vessels, we have to have this over and over in our lives where we step up to the plate and we say to God, you have been so faithful to me. You have been so trustworthy. You have never let a promise fall to the ground. Thank you for that. You know what? I'm going to step up to the plate. I'm going to return that covenant faithfulness back to you, knowing that that is what your role modeled for me, what you're expecting from me. Those are appropriate and important times in our lives. Uh, never miss the opportunity to renew your covenant with God. Right here at Christmas, that's a great opportunity as well. So he renews the covenant. He said, the Lord, the God of Israel, brought uh, you up from Egypt and delivered you from the Egyptians and the power of all the kingdoms that are oppressing you. Anytime the covenant is renewed, the prophet or the, the leader or whatever is going to re, um, sort of rehearse the great redemptive acts of God in bringing a people to himself and into freedom and into the ability to have relationship with him. So the video, this is Gibeon. Uh, Solomon worshiped here, offered thousands of offerings here. Um, up on the horizon, that's Rama, that big, uh, tall skyscraper. It's one of the capitals of the Palestinian Authority um, and um, a, a place that we don't typically go. But right here at Gibeon, here's the pool of Gibeon. You hear about this in 2 Kings chapter 2. The forces of Joab and Abner opposing armies, uh, kind of them and their... Um, uh, bodyguard got together there and and had a representative combat battle between the two small groups uh, of people. Looking across here, the, Joseph and Mary went down this ridge and on the way toward, and this is the outskirts of Jerusalem there. Here's a close-up of that pool of Gibeon that you get in 2 Kings 2. And this is not pretend again. And it's a real spot and we can say, yes, X marks the spot. This is the story connected to this location, and it actually happened right here. So that was Gibeon. Right around the corner from Gibeon is Mizpah. You can see all the archaeological excavations here. And this is the place where Samuel gathered the people together and renewed the covenant there at, um, at Gibeon, um, at Mizpah. Uh, again, looking across at that ridge that Joseph and Mary would have traveled, thousands of Jews, hundreds of years before that, same thing. And um, it's, these are real places. And um, hoping you're kind of getting a feel for the country as well. Next. So then, from Mizpah on to Jerusalem. 
in the book of Deuteronomy and multiple times there, it talks about the place which the Lord your God will choose from all your tribes to establish his name for his dwelling, Lishichno, and you can hear that word Shachan there, Lishichno, Shekinah, for his special dwelling presence. God is everywhere, no doubt. He's right here. He's probably sitting beside some of y'all. All of y'all, he's inside of you, right? And yet there are these indications, these markers in time and space that God says, special dwelling presence. This was the case with the temple. Let's take a look at the, the city of Jerusalem. We go through this as quickly as we can. But here's the city of David. Here's the Kidron Valley. This is the Mount of Olives that runs north-south on the east side of Jerusalem. There's the Temple Mount. Uh, this little finger right here is the city of David. But in Jesus' day, it had grown to be a huge city like this. This little six, seven acre plot of land, that's David. It's like the mustard seed. The kingdom starts small and grows, yeah? And uh, that's what happens when God is in it. Same thing with your life. Small beginnings, and then God takes you places you'd never dream. This gigantic graveyard here, uh, when Jesus is teaching on these steps where you'd enter into the temple in the first century, he talks about whited sepulchers, and he talks about decorating the tombs of the prophets. Everything he ever said was deeply, heavily contextualized. It's always cool to have the visuals and to actually know where he is, who he's talking to, because it makes what he says make even more sense. All right. So here's the mountains of Judah, and in that ridge on the horizon, that's the road from Nazareth to Bethlehem. So we're at Jerusalem. Our last stop is Bethlehem itself. Uh, right here on the very edge of the screen, five miles from the city, six miles from the city of Jerusalem. You can see one from the other. It's very easy to make out. Next. Again. And uh, just a little video. We're in downtown Bethlehem. Some of this you will see on Christmas Eve, you know, on broadcast from there. Here's Manger Square. Here's the courtyard. And then this is the Church of the Nativity covers the cave where Jesus was born, the cross shape uh, here, the Judean wilderness in the background where shepherds, that's the place of shepherds according to rabbinic texts and the like. And just two miles from Bethlehem, within eyesight, easily seen from Bethlehem, is this monument that Herod the Great, you remember the little skit, Herod sitting on his litter, okay? Um, he was really into himself, and he built monuments to himself all over. This he chose to title, to name, the Herodium. Get the point, the connection? So this king who was into power and into money and into uh, uh, self and prestige, you have this two miles from one another juxtaposed to the baby born in the cave, the baby laid in a manger, uh, the baby born in very difficult and unusual circumstances. Don't despise small beginnings. Look what he accomplished. And so next, in this, uh, again, in this quick kind of survey of the trip between Joseph and Mary, go ahead to the end. Um, what, we're, what we're trying to, what we tried to do was to retrace their steps, to see what they saw, and to focus on some of the things that would have been major Discussion points. God's personal involvement in human history. He's still there with you. 
He's a God that wants that. From the Garden of Eden to the book of Revelation that says, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men. He wants that relationship, that intimacy of fellowship with you. It's what you were created for. It's what his heart desires. Covenant renewal, always appropriate. Not just in the Hebrew Bible, but in the life of Joseph and Mary and in our lives as well. That presence of God that we can't do without, that we get to celebrate, especially this time of year. Emmanuel, with us is El or God. And then this deliverance. Where would we, any of us, be without that? Thank God that, that he was willing to go to a 2.0. And it wasn't just the kind of military, you know, and physical deliverance that was brought about by Deborah and Barak or by Gideon or by the, the kings of, of Israel or whatever. This is a deliverance that has been so pervasive that it's even invaded our lives. Thank God that he brought his rescue, his mission of redemption, his salvation. They're basically synonymous words into our lives. Will you pray with me as we conclude? Father, we thank you for a journey of faith. We thank you that, that you're with us. Your presence is there in our own journey. We thank you that you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. We thank you, Lord, that you pursued us to the point where we said yes, where we bowed the knee, and where we acknowledge the infant king as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. As we have re rehearsed great events in history and been reminded of this consistent covenant-keeping God, Lord, we ask that in this Christmas season, as you've informed our faith, that you also warm our hearts and draw us to you so that we renew that covenant with you and walk in your ways. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.
Just a quick message before we begin. Uh, we've got some people looking for a seat. If you don't mind, if you have a seat between you, let's uh, kind of go to the outside um, so we can create some room here in the middle. So if you have a seat between you, let's go ahead and move to the walls on the outside. We also have an overflow room that is directly across the way here, across from our coffee bar that has a video feed and sound it's not of us it's of a 1970 Billy Graham crusade but you'll enjoy it okay my name is Kevin Short I'm the pastor here it is great to have you thank you for being with us we are pleased to have our kids give the nativity